0: we
1: Welcome to the first State of Flux episode of 2024. We're starting the year off with a dose of inspiration courtesy of my friend Luayda Ali. She was kind enough to share her incredible story from immigrating to Canada at a young age and finding her community on music forums, to running one of the biggest music sites in the world and starting her own agency. That whole time she was also studying and working in mental health, so you know she's a hard worker. You know we love those around here. One of my favorite parts of the interview is seeing where those two things meet in her journey, and her incredible insight on the importance of finding your why as an artist. It's a great episode, so let's jump right in. Are you ready? Well, I think we already are doing this. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I know, I know, but this was in 2021,
1: right?
0: And how much has happened since in the past two and a half years? How many projects do we have underway now? How many moving parts?
1: (laughs) It's a lot to be excited for. Before we get into what we're doing now, you've got a really amazing story and just the role that music played in it. It's inspirational. So I think maybe a good place to start is just how music came into your life when you moved to Canada and how you got involved with Absolute Punk.
0: So I don't know if you know this about me. A lot of people don't. I mean, this was part of the big mind wounding, so to speak, right? But I was a classically trained pianist in Albania for many, many years. So I played piano since a young age. And I mean, I was young, but I would get invited to TV shows in Albania to play. We didn't have that many channels in Albania at the time. So this was a very big deal, right? And then, stuff happened in Albania. I mean, anyone that wants to know about Albania can go look stuff up. But it was a very dark period when I was young. And I ended up coming to Canada. And, you know, it's difficult. It's absolutely difficult. I have no friends, can barely speak English. I have the thickest accent you can imagine, you know? Just probably not in my best shape. And I didn't have a piano. I didn't have much of anything, right? Like, that stuff was very, very expensive at the time. So... I latched onto music and I remember one of the first CDs I had, one of the only CDs I had was the Eminem show. So your friend over here learned English with the Eminem show. (laughs) But yeah, so music was honestly all I had. I remember I would be afraid to go to school. I didn't have friends, you know, I, I was dealing with a lot and I would come home or I would stay home sometimes. I did not have a good relationship with school in Canada. But that's another story, maybe for another <laughs> podcast. But long story short, I was longing for friendship, you know. We didn't have cell phones at the time, so I couldn't be in touch with my friends in Albania. It, it was not like it is today where everybody's within reach, right? So listening to music, again, because I couldn't play music, it became an even bigger part of my life. And then... I found these forums and somehow I started to really get into technology. I think I've always been since I was little. So I started going on these music forums like Absolute Punk in 2002. This was a way early. Okay. The only sites that were available were like mp3.com. That's where you listen to music. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) Because I remember going on Absolute Punk and I also, and this is important for later, I got into torrents so hard. And you know why? Because I just couldn't afford to buy CDs. I got into these niche communities, especially indie communities. And all these communities were set up by like the biggest nerds who could set up a whole system, right? A server, a system built, the tracker and everything. And I remember specifically, it was 2003. I went on Indie Torrents. Shout out Indie Torrents. <laughs> it's still alive. <laughs> Throw in um, pack, yeah yeah and i was (laughs) how old was i in 2002 i'm really giving away my age here but i was 16 something like that and i remember telling these guys on the forums that i was a girl and there were no girls on such forums at that time you know it's the internet was very new communities that was not not a thing and i remember them asking me pictures or get the fuck out basically <laughs> you know it's like we don't believe yeah. you girls don't come to these spaces and i remember yeah. taking a picture of my shitty webcam you know you we used to have those webcams that you put on top of your monitor
1: <laughs> yeah <with the laughs> not sign. even the one that's, that's part of the computer yeah oh my god.
0: yeah i remember taking that picture being like with just like my name hi i'm morning star <laughs> oh my <laughs> god you can imagine it was just one of those boys
1: There's a girl here! (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, I could relate to that so much. When I started going to just local punk and hardcore shows, there were never girls would be like 10 guys in a VFW hall. Once a few girls started coming to shows, didn't matter who the girl was. Like every guy was just like super excited that there were girls there. (laughs) And like there'd be like a handful of girls and every guy would be like, oh, I have a crush on her. I have a crush on her. Like everybody would have a crush on every girl there because it was just like, well, there's only four or five girls that are into what we really love. So... We must be soulmates.
0: (laughs) Oh my God, that's exactly it. So as you can imagine, I became a little bit of a thing on these forums, but not even in a creepy way. These were honestly, I was very young. These guys were in their mid-20s, early 30s. Let's just say that they took me under their wing. They showed me the ins and outs of technology, of files, you know, bit rates and MP3s and how sound works you know, how to set things up. And more importantly, they taught me about music and how important independent music was. Now these guys, Rich, absolutely hated pitchfork and all the hipster bullshit that hadn't even taken off yet, but they could see it. I don't know if you remember this about me, but the whole thing about me was, I'm gonna build something better than pitchfork. and But that became a thing. Essentially, they ingrained this in my soul how important art was i mean i'd always understood it as an artist myself it it was almost like a bit of an awakening and i was suddenly seeing things very differently i just come to this new place oh my god independent artists don't get supported. Oh my God, there's an entire industry that's crushing real musicians. Oh my God, yeah. my entire mind was like blown. Fast yeah. forward, you've seen me interact with people and such. I love people, I'm a people's person. Something similar happened in Absolute Punk where I was always the nice person on the forums. I, was, I never had any attitude, you know. I was a peacekeeper, the mediator, the whatever. And I was always introducing people to new music because i was getting all this new music from indie Torrance. and i mean these guys were the guys going to their shows with like 10 people in them you know yeah. and we're talking about artists that now have blown up like jay tillman father john misty nowadays he was jay tillman yeah. though before he became father john misty he was yeah. huge in these communities even arcade fire iron and wine All these small indie acts that were not on the radar. These guys were finding them in their cities, sharing them. So I was taking them from these trackers, essentially, and building a huge library and exposing Absolute Punk to it. The Absolute Punk forms it. So, of course, everybody was like, every music recommendation that Ada gives you, it's like, top-notch, it's like the best, never heard of this, where the fuck are you finding this? (laughs) And I don't know, this is for the dinosaurs, but there was also Oink that became What CD. The biggest tracker, right? I was on Oink mm-hmm. since the very beginning. I think I was user 1100 or something. Oink wow. had hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of users. This was a big foundation. So yeah, I got an absolute funk. I'll tell you something, Rich. I didn't have friends here where I lived in Canada. But I made all these friends my age on the forums. And they gave me the primary fuel for North American culture. You know, I started to understand slang. I started to understand jokes. I started to understand culture people their personalities you know what i mean the sense of humor out here even dry humor for all intents and purposes ada lived in canada but i grew up in an american high school because i was only surrounded by americans day in day out on the internet Mm -hmm. and i was on the internet 24 7. so that's how things in absolute punk started i became a moderator on the forums the forums were huge by the way if people don't know oh, absolute yeah. punk was the online community it had half a million users before reddit this was a big big thing back in the day i mean jason yeah. took note of the fact that people listened to me i could manage people that's jason, people tate. Person- yeah, jason yeah tate jason tate is the
1: founder of absolute punk and now course fm yeah
0: jason took notice of this and i became a moderator and he kept bugging me to become an actual editor or staff members, we called them, right? Jason was just bugging me all the time because I kept talking about how indie is the next thing. And imagine saying this to punk kids. On the forums, I can get away with it. On the front page? Oh, no, 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 no. It it was two different worlds. So the listeners know. It was two different worlds. The front page of Absolute Punk had a different community in many ways, and the forums had a different community. It's like Reddit, you know? Like, different communities have different Mm -hmm. attitudes. So anyway, I kept insisting, right, that indie was really the next big thing and Jason is like look you should become a staff member you should start posting news you know features whatever but you should come on because you're doing it already but you're just doing it on the forums instead of the front page and this is where my own wounding comes in right like hiding it's like no I have nothing to do with music you know I'm gonna go study political science and psychology this is like I do this for fun well he had enough of that I woke up one morning, I see my account has completely changed to an editor account. Jason just yeah. went in, you know, he's like, I'm tired of trying to talk to this girl. She's going to do this. <laughs> it was yeah. so funny. Give, give her that it little was...
1: nudge. Push her off the cliff a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Do it.
0: Obviously working on Absolute Punk was challenging in so many ways. And there's things that could have been better and improved. Hindsight is 2020, But I will say this much. That Jason Tate not only gave me that position, but he gave me free reign. I think because he had known me for such a long time, he gave me complete freedom to do whatever I wanted, feature whoever I wanted, to the point where eventually I was running the site with him and Linda. It was the three of us. And then I was hiring people, training people to expand indie music. So, yes, I went from being a moderator to being this editor and i i mean i spoke english at this point when i became a staff member it was 2007 i'd been in canada for six years at that point and i could speak english just fine you know but no one had ever really asked me to sit down and talk about things in detail it felt like a fish out of water in many ways how am i gonna find features or connect to artists and stuff no nobody knows who i am and the artists that i like well, they're not punk artists. So here I am, Aliyah at AbsolutePunk.net, emailing all these indie labels, right? I was working for Absolute Punk covering indie music. Never yeah. done before.
1: You know, I started doing music PR and I believe it was like 2010. So you had been there forever and I was always on Absolute Punk because that's the world I grew up on. So I I knew your name from that. When I started with music PR, I remember like emailing you and Jason, And people like Drew Berenger and being like, these are people whose like opinion I value. And now I'm actually emailing with them. And that that was like one of the the cool things for me when I first started doing music PR. But the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that you did at Absolute Punk that was revolutionary, that was one of the things I always hit you up about was before there was music streaming, before there was Spotify and Apple Music and everything, you were getting bands to premiere their record or stream their record on Absolute Punk. So what made you think to do that? Like there was no real precedence for that. Where'd that idea spark for you?
0: The reason I brought up Indie Torrance and being on these trackers before is because I essentially was listening to full albums. And listening to these full albums is what made me a fan, somebody that couldn't afford CDs to be in love with this music or fall in love with this music. And then I was telling other people about it. Other people were talking about it. Then those people were buying CDs that I couldn't buy, or I would go to the show and bring people to the show, right? But essentially, I could see that this technology wasn't going to stay where it was. You know, it's like, a uh, cat is out of the bag now, or Pandora's box is open. And you know how it is. And even at a young age, I understood, even though I didn't understand the politics of the world the way I do now, I understood that there would probably be resistance because having stuff available online in the minds of these executives meant that their artists are going to make money because what incentive do people have to buy cds they're listening to the music already well as i started to warm up and build some contacts in the music industry which by the way full disclosure i've had so many doors slammed in my face rich my self-esteem it's not like my self-esteem was amazing to begin with like i was hurting coming here after what I went through in Albania. But there was something in me, you know? Actually, let me tell you my why, because it's important and it's gonna keep coming back. I felt so awful not being able to support artists financially who were keeping me alive as a teenager, okay? this always, always ate away at me. So I remember when Jason made me a staff member, I thought to myself, and even when I was a moderator, I could give back to these artists by telling other people about them. Other yeah. people will support them, maybe in ways that I can't at the moment. So that became my thing. I'm going to give back to them in a different way. An energy exchange, right? So yes, doors slam, whatever. But some people, you know, were okay with it because they were smart enough to think, okay, absolute punk is not our usual demographic, but the way I would frame it is that that's why it's perfect. Is Imagine yeah. Heap on these, or like on these sites? Does she have the demographic under wraps? Does whatever yeah. indie ba- bands have the demographic under wraps? And I knew there were no fans in the world like seeing kids. They could take any artist and blow them up because they were passionate. They were longing and they were thirsty, you know, for emotion, yeah. feeling, and something real. It's just you know. Those were the scene yeah. kids. So I started convincing these, not indie artists, but agencies that work with indie artists, you know, record labels. And some of them were warming up because again, they were smart. And then I started thinking, okay, Lueta, you really hate writing, especially album reviews. To this day, I've not written a single album review in my life. Somehow I got away with it. But I said to myself, okay, how else can I get people to become familiar with the music? And no shades, album reviewers and all that. But I was of the belief that instead, it's music instead of reading about it people should be listening to it and making up their minds right so of course as the relationships with artists and some of these agencies and record labels got better I started to talk to them about this and at first it started with like a song premiere and this is where I had my publicist hat on which at the time I, I didn't think of it as a publicist hat but I'm like look this is why it's gonna be good for your artists you gotta do it because not only is it going to be good for sales or whatever which they didn't believe at the time but I said what are you giving back to your fans what are you giving back to your listeners because and I say this to artists to this day you're literally just like going there asking people to support your dreams without you giving much of anything in return and sure you could think well the music is the gift okay but really that's it so it's yeah. really all about you because once people support that music you're the one that's ultimately going to benefit most you know i always i mean the bottom line is that i look at every relationship as an energy exchange right even though at the time i wouldn't have put it in those terms it just seemed like there was an imbalance you know between like what fans were getting and how record labels the Back in the day, it was more notorious than it is now. It's notorious now for different reasons, I feel like. So long story short, let's just say your friend over here went around a lot of people. And I will say that artists have always been my golden ticket because even when these record labels or agencies wouldn't budge, you know, because they're like, no, because if we stream it, we're not going to make money. This time we make money. You know, we can see sales are already going down. Fuck MP3 is awful. Like it's been... It's with the death of the music, you know? It's like, oh my God, yeah. these people were just like, not budget. But you know what? Numbers speak louder than anything else. And Rich, it got to the point where every artist that was being featured was blowing. Up. In fact, oh, our yeah. friend Rob would tell me, yeah, I would keep tabs on Absolute Punk and see what bands Ada was covering because I would sign them. I had so many record yeah. labels who were watching me mm. at all times any artist that i would feature especially through a stream i just build a reputation and, for that
1: and that's rob abelow right
0: yes yeah. Rob yeah. like i mean yeah. typhoon his baby typhoon too that was one of the bands you could ask typhoon i put them on the map on absolute punk blew them up the absolute punk community just latched onto them so hard and the way they did yeah. with any of these incredible indie artists but my point is The indie artists that were getting covered on Absolute Punk, unlike other indie artists getting covered on all the indie publications, they had a whole new audience. So, of course, they were blowing up in a way that other indie bands were not blowing up. So, yes, music streaming was an effort to bring fans closer to musicians. And it was a lot of hard work but then eventually it got to the point where people were begging me to feature their albums. It blew up. I'm honestly very, very proud. Obviously there's a lot of issues with streaming. I don't think we've figured out how to make it beneficial for artists at this point. But when the technology is there, you gotta move with it. And that's what I emphasize in the music industry that these private torrent trackers, they're the ones blowing up indie artists. They're the ones putting Arcade Fire on the map in 2004. They literally were it. That was a community supporting Arcade Fire funeral in 2004 and when it blew up yeah. they understood the power of this new technology people being able to stream meant that they actually went and supported the artist yeah so as they say the and- rest is history but yes <laughs> it was a long mm-hmm. long process that's for sure
1: and then from there after absolute punk your career kind of diverged a little bit where you were doing two separate things at that point you were working with me at 24 west but before you did that you were with noisy ghost pr and there's a label that you were with as well right
0: great face records noisy ghost great face records of- yeah yeah, so yeah. Grayface was just another record label that I supported a lot. Actually, can I just throw this in there because it's my claim to fame and this stuff should be documented. Some genres that were not covered, barely, hardly ever covered in North America was instrumental rock or post-rock as, as it's known now and classical music, instrumental music. That's huge now, right? Like neoclassical yeah. and all that. I mm. helped establish those genres in North America.
1: Do you think you were drawn to that sort of a genre, because a lot of the times there's a heavy piano usage and that was something that you know was so personal to you because you grew up as a pianist. And I don't know if at this point yeah. you picked it back up, but you said when you moved to Canada, that was kind of taken from you. Uh,
0: not a hundred percent, but a thousand percent. I think my soul vibrates, you know, piano music, like that's just how it is. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny, right? I just posted a new reel for today and if you pay attention, I always use piano music in the background. Yeah. The hope, the dream, is that one day I'll be the one actually playing that music as I'm doing those voiceovers, you know, instead of using other people's songs. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. But yes,
0: that's 100% it. I had such a love for classical music. Again, the absolute punk forums were on fire with this music. Instrumental yeah. rock and classical, which they didn't expect. But I'm telling you, like, yeah. Oliver Arnold's, like, the artist whose music I used today he was not on the map in North America. Nails from all none of these guys. A winged victory for the Sullen. I premiered their albums, their songs. It, it was a thing. And I'm just going to throw this out there. It's funny, though, because eventually, as I was working with this artist to help them get established here, life would have it that I would circle back into their lives, but in a different role. And yeah. so it was because even Oliver Arnold's. As I was promoting one of these records for Now I Am Winter, my friend, an artist that I now work with, Arnor, was on that album. You know, so our worlds had already collided that way <laughs> and it's yeah. it's happened like that with so many artists where I maybe covered them as an editor or somehow we end up working together
1: yeah I think that's this this industry in general because it's so much about collaboration that whether it's working with an artist or like we were talking about earlier like you and I working together in a creative capacity and in a production capacity now on more film stuff it's like If you really vibe with somebody, you could not work with them for years. And then somehow you always kind of get drawn back into each other's orbit and you end up doing something else down the line. It's just, you know, the people that you like to create with, and then you find ways to bring them back into your workflow and collaborate with them down the line.
0: No, exactly. And honestly, as much as I want to take credit for that happening, I feel like that's just our souls doing it. I was definitely not expecting to start working with rich and again in 2021 when he reached out not because i was opposed to it but just i just didn't expect it you know it, it, it was not yeah. on my bingo card as they like to say for 2021
1: yeah. and so getting back to Grayface face and noisy ghost you were doing that and you were also at this time launching made of chalk what i really loved about what you were doing with made of chalk was a lot of the blog world at that point was getting to that we have to be critical we're going to tell people where artists are failing whereas Made of Chalk was all about supporting the artists. And then you guys were also innovative in the way you were incorporating video at the time. I would love to hear more about the process of you starting Made of Chalk and also how that related to what you were doing with Noisy Ghost working with us at 24 West.
0: Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. In 2012, I've been doing this stuff in Absolute Punk for a while now. And as I've said before, By this point, I realized the reach, not even the potential, but just what this was doing in the real world for artists. And I understood this, especially when tours were being sold out when artists started winning awards and all that. And it's funny because our friend, Joanna, she was like one of my biggest cheerleaders at the time when I was doing this. It was March 2012, absolute punk, stereo gum, pure volume. I can't even remember the names of all these sites, but they were bought out by Buzz Media. It turned into Spin Media, right? After Spin became part of the family, but they had never had showcases or anything like that at South by Southwest. I'd been to South by Southwest, I think once by this point, or maybe twice, and I got a feel for things. And so we decided to do a showcase, you know? Spin Media was just like "We're all the sites are gonna, maybe not all the sites, but the big sites are gonna do a showcase. We'd never done such a thing before. I spearheaded this. I got a lineup that was very diverse. We had five artists on that bill. I got Forum Artists that was blowing up a range. Pitchfork loved that kid. I was his manager for a while and we got him on 24 West as well. I got a range. I got the front bottoms. The front bottoms were nobodies back then. You know, there was a small band but the community yeah. loved them. So I was like, let's get a more bill. Oh, yeah. We had Motion City Soundtrack, Doomtree. And I want to say hello goodbye actually. I forget. I need to find the poster. But yeah. no, I got the diverse lineup and Rich, this was just the biggest event for Spin Media that weekend. The lineup went all around the building and it was so long people could not even get in like nobody could believe what was happening you know there were bigger bands playing that day etc but to me this was confirmation that Scene kids oh my god activate Scene kids you're gucci you just need the scene kids you know yeah so this blew up it was so successful that the following day i forget what jeff's actual title was at spin media but jeff Leeds was the spin media guy and he loved me and i remember the following day he's like i'm gonna need you in la so i'm gonna create a position for you at spin media so that you can work full-time you can choose new york city or la this was 2012. at the time absolute punk staff members were not getting paid so i got the first position created for me to be brought on as a full employee it was a big, big deal, yeah. right? Obviously, this was a very difficult choice for me at the time. I was fairly young, 24, 25. Maybe not that yet <laughs> but at the time it felt super That's pretty, young, right?
1: Pretty young, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was I, I was pretty young. And it was in that moment that I realized that as much as I loved Absolute Punk, Jason was great to me. Jeff was amazing to me. I knew they w- would have treated me amazing. But I also knew in my heart of hearts, because i had been in the industry for a couple of years at this point, five years fully, fully in the industry, That's if I really wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, other than I wanted to do stuff differently than the way publications were including absolute punk and when you have such a huge operation and now you have a parent company like spin media you can't exactly go rogue and do whatever the hell you want you know so basically
1: red tape starts showing up
0: exactly i was just about to say should i use the word red tape <laughs> but that, that, that was exactly it some red tape and i don't know i felt like the music streaming that south by southwest showcase made me realize that oh my god i'm i'm running teams all over the place um managing this maybe i could do something different and even though i did help rebrand absolute punk it was never really going to be primarily about that scene yeah So I just wanted to do something different. By this point, I had so many readers and supporters, like hundreds, hundreds of thousands, like really spread across the globe, right? People that have been following me for years. And I remember every time I'd go to shows, especially in the US, because Absolute Punk wasn't that big in Canada. But every time I go to a show in the States, my readers would come out to meet me. It was absolutely Mm -hmm. insane. It must have been so cool. It was honestly the coolest thing. And in fact, they would even go to artists and take pictures with them and be like, I love your music because of Lueda. It was insane. Man, artists would reach out to me. They'd be like, fans that came from you keep coming up to us, you know. I think this is true to this day. I think this is probably the one of the main reasons why I've always had a closer relationship to like artists and record labels, you know, management or whatever. So, I mean, this is my sneaky way of doing things sometimes, right? Like when record labels or agencies would be against an idea, even streaming i just go to the artist, and so then they would go talk you know to the record label or agency and it was incredible and i could only do so much even though i could do anything i wanted on absolute punk and so i started toying with the idea what if i create another platform you know where even the people that i've trained for absolute punk could maybe exercise their other creative muscles and i haven't mentioned this yet but even though back in the day i couldn't quite understand why i had such strong resistance to critics criticizing someone's art i was just so against it. So essentially I wanted to build a platform where we celebrated art. But people picked up on this, that I was all about hyping artists, building them, not tearing them down. I'm a schemer, I'm a schemer, like I'll always do something. And I like to attribute this to me having a very unusual life. So essentially I may see opportunity, you know, or connection where other people don't. Like my brain just works like that, right? It makes connections where other people may not necessarily. So I couldn't tell you the conversations that we had other than my desire to do more with artists and I started talking to yeah. people and I remember being in Chicago, it was Lollapalooza I believe, and one of my readers, Nick Statina, comes to the show, I had known him on the forums and he comes up to me, I mean, get into a conversation and I tell him about my idea and I mean, Nick has whatever job, but he's in love with music, he wants to produce music, you know, he wants to record music, that's his passion, and so he's put together a studio in Chicago that only he's using basically because he doesn't have connections you know, or anything, so when this idea came up about doing my own platform we agreed to make that the made of chalk studio it was a state of the art nick wasn't really trying to save money when he built this studio let's just put it that yeah. way it was
1: built the studio of his <laughs> dreams
0: oh my god it was solid so that's how made of chalk got the video production going. At the time, I didn't know this, but not only was Nick able to like shoot and stuff, and he was getting other people to become part of the crew, right? We put a whole crew together in Chicago. He was also incredible at mixing. And mastering. So the idea took off. I remember June 10th, 2012, I registered madeofchalk.com. But a few days prior to that, I want to say it was my friend Tito, publicist that put me in touch with Metric. I was covering Metric and I'd done features and stuff. But somehow he got Metric to get on the phone with me. I don't know if it was Tito, but one of my lovely publicists that I used to work with, Mm -hmm. they got freaking Metric on the phone.
1: Either way, though, I just want to take a moment to shout out Tito because... Tito believes from Clarion Calls is a great guy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I freaking love Tito. Well, he's in Toronto right now, so I'm going to be bugging yeah. him soon. <laughs> but yeah, so I got that phone call from Metric and I remember Jimmy essentially telling me, you better do that idea because it's solid. Come on, we're all behind you. You better run with it. You know. And I wish I could find that recording because I have it somewhere. It was a 30 minute conversation. Basically, not me talking about Metric, but me talking about made of chalk and like what I'm trying to do. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But that honestly gave me the push. And I just remember registering the domain. It's like, we're doing this, guys. <laughs> you had websites like WordPress, but they didn't have the plugins they have now. You didn't have Squarespace. You know, you didn't have these platforms where you could build your own site on top of it very easily. There was no such thing. So here's your friend working in mental health. I'm in school full time. By this point, as I'm starting made of chalk, I've already teamed up with Ryan Grayface. Ryan Grayface, very dear friend of mine. I love Grayface Records. And he got in touch with me because he noticed oh, wait a second, because Lueda Ali always covering my shit. So he reached yeah. out. Like we, we became friends. And then we're talking about how publicity could use a lot of improvement, blah, blah, blah. No need to get into it. I was like, look, I've never done publicity, <laughs> you know, but I've worked in <laughs> the music industry for some time. And I work with publicists all the time. So how hard can it really be? So we just we just started it. I put my first press release together and he's like, You're a pro, we're doing this. So we did it. Nice. <laughs> and that was it. So me and Ryan just running Noisy Ghost, you know? And I brought on Michelle on Noisy Ghost. She was at another PR agency and she wasn't very happy either. And we were friends, right? And you know how it is, you always want to work with friends. I mean that's why I joined 24 West, because I wanted to work with people that I was closer to. <laughs> but yeah. now I brought her on and it just took off. Like the three of us started running, Noisy Ghosts, we were getting clients. I got my friend Karina to, my friend Karina and I actually came up with the uh, the brand, like the design, the everything. The logo to this day, Noisy Ghosts, is from my designer Karina, the one that's made made of chalk, smoke and mirrors so we yeah. built a whole agency and it's still running and michelle is actually the one running it by herself she's president of noisy Goes. but yeah so while i was doing made of chalk and noisy goes i was also in school full-time and i was also working full-time okay yeah. so a lot of things were happening and people will often get confused because they're like okay i can't really make sense of you what do you do exactly or what have you done, you know? Like to remember, I mean, it's easy to remember when you think that none of us were really making much money in music, right? So I had to have a real career as our, our parents would call it in the day, right? My real career was in mental health. I was working in mental health. And I'll put this out there. When I was working mental health here in London, Ontario at the time, almost every lunch, not even just lunch, but throughout the day, I would go in the bathroom and cry because of what I was being exposed to, you know, people's lives their mental health challenges and also just to be fully honest here how inadequate the system was to help these people and here i was i was just pushing my button i had great intentions like everybody there but ultimately i was just pushing a button and I'm not a person that just happy to press a button. I think it's just in my DNA to be that trailblazer, do things differently, or no, no, I'm not gonna do this because I'm supposed to do it. Does it make sense for me to do that? And as I was crying, I was working on Made of Shock with my team. Karina was in Armenia at the time, even though she's from Switzerland, had developers and I was paying so much money and I couldn't afford it. And this is when my friends came through. Other staff members from Absolute Punk, like Adam Fider, Thomas Nassif, like they gave me money, they gave me support to build that thing. Man. I could cry yeah. It's was like, how deep do I want to get into this? But I was going through such a hard time in 2012 and this was my lifeline. And I knew yeah. I didn't want to work in mental health anymore. Right, but it's like, how can you work in music? You don't make money, like, how, you know? Yeah. But they helped me get the thing off the ground.
1: Something I just want to call out here that I find super interesting. So this is 2012. You said you basically started this journey for the most part, in 2002, you came to a new country, you're having problems getting acclimated, it was a really difficult time in your life. And music was your savior, but it was listening to music. And now you're Mm -hmm. 10 years into your journey here. And music is still saving you helping Mm -hmm. your mental health. It's just in a completely different side of the coin here. It's not just listening. I'm sure it's still doing the same thing it was in 2002 in terms Mm -hmm, of listening. mm -hmm. But now you're talking about you're on this journey of figuring out what you want to do with your life and you're still coming back to music and made of chalk (laughs) is giving you that outlet to feel better about well maybe there is a light at the end of this tunnel
0: absolutely absolutely and what had happened on absolute punk did give me that inspiration because i had seen firsthand how these artists lives were changing right so then i started to understand that okay maybe editorials need to be different streaming helps maybe pr needs to be different okay maybe there needs to be sort of different media or promo material for artists that they don't have yet maybe that's what's missing from like fans latching on them right but it was absolutely my lifeline and beyond like my friends supporting i mean my staff if you will or people who are helping me build it you know how it is because you've been a publicist you don't give access to a journalist unless they're going to do something with that access like do you have a site who are you writing for what are you doing are you covering my artists well guess what made of chalk was not even launched yet and we started getting access to bands and venues in 2012 summer 2012 we started shooting videos seven months eight months before it launched and you know why because i reach out to my friends like you you know like joe and be like i'm doing this thing now and this is my why and i know i don't have a site yet but it's coming and in the meantime i want to create content so that when we launch you know we have a lot of content to launch it with doors just blew open unheard of not only were we getting access to these venues we teamed up with every venue in chicago There's no venue in Chicago that doesn't know the name Made of jaw. You know, maybe I should move to Chicago, actually. You know, I've thought about it. Not only were they giving us access, they were giving us a direct feed into their sound, right? Like, my camera crew was plugging directly into, like, the sound. But they were even driving 40 to an hour to go to the studio and then back to the city to do these video session for people to do that solid with their artists so I could yeah. sit here and be like okay yeah it was a mastermind behind made of chalk etc cetera, etc cetera. but it takes a village and that's what made of chalk always was a village yeah. you know yeah it was it just took off
1: you said there's like no real money in music journalism everybody was doing it for straight passion but you were one of the first sites i remember that actually went out and partnered with brands and other bigger media outlets was that always part of the plan or did you at some point decide okay like i need to reach out to nbc and mtv i didn't go
0: to them they came to me because it's that when made of chalk was doing these videos videos weren't everywhere the way they are now Especially music videos. This was 2012, guys. That's a lifetime ago. (laughs) In
1: 2012,
0: these videos, especially the way that Made of Chalk was shooting them. Basically, Nick's entire thing was, I want people to feel as though they're here. They were shot very differently. There were HD videos. And the mixing rich we would have artists coming back to us and saying they love the mix better than their album mix and wow. in fact if you go on youtube right now if you look at the comments for our videos people are saying the same thing it was a whole other thing and by the way nick has his own studio now the made of chalk studio has turned into his own invigorating studio he's been working with artists he does he does this full time now this was his dream you That's know awesome. it's incredible but so this was different no one was doing this i was in love with what we were doing then nbc comes knocking we want this video into it over it right? That's not why we did it. I hadn't even thought of maybe partnering, right? I don't think at that point I had. Maybe I think I had. Because my background in publicity, I kept thinking, okay, well, Made of Chalk is producing these videos, but we don't have that big of an audience yet, right? So how can we make this better for the artists, right? So I started talking to publicists, like, hey, can you maybe secure a premiere on that site that loves your artist and will produce a video and it's going to be almost like promo material for you made by Made of Chalk, right. you know? It, it was a win-win situation yeah. all around. Like, the other platform gets an exclusive the artist gets like problem material made of chalk gets put on the map right it became a whole thing and then indie sites came knocking right mtv we barely had to do any pitching at that point people Mm -hmm. were just like reaching out and i remember when i came on 24 west we were then doing the same things with our artists right or like is our artist going to chicago can we get the chicago made of chalk for to do something it was unusual the quality of the videos and the sound was unmatched entirely I mean it was good enough to get on Carson Daily. I just yeah. remember it was it was actually January 21st 2014 so almost exactly 10 years ago and I just remember being in bed with my partner at the time and I just like hiding under the covers when it came live I was like oh my god just like hiding I just cannot <laughs> believe seeing that logo right in front of millions mm-hmm. of people I'm shaking now thinking about it it was a big deal but yeah after that it just it just blew up
1: i believe you started your agency smoke and mirrors before made of chalk stopped producing content like that was kind of happening simultaneously
0: it was happening simultaneously i mean let me put in these terms this was 2012 2013 there weren't really many women entrepreneurs at the time especially in tech and media a tiny albanian girl okay You could still hear my accent, like, think, who's taking me seriously? Like, okay, I have the numbers, I have this and that, but I just didn't have the support necessary to keep this up. That was just it. I think people just didn't know what to do with me, even people here in London. It wasn't just financial stuff, though. It was also the fact that I no longer wanted to be an outsider when I work with artists. I wanted to be in on the journey, you know? I wanted to shape that journey, and I was already close with artists anyway, so I was like, why am I always sort of being an outsider with their art and what they're doing. That's sort of the experience that Noisy gave me, right? And I was with Noisy for about a year. And then I came on 24 West, which again, okay, let's work with artists a little closer, you know, or, go, or in a different way. And that just sort of gave me a taste for. I think, What I had always wanted to do, which was really just be part of this journey. Not be part of that journey for selfish reasons, per se, although my heart is there, you know, that's what I would ideally do. But because, and maybe this was arrogant of me, I just thought that there were different ways of doing people in the industry that agencies weren't doing or that they they weren't nurturing artists the way they needed to be nurtured. You know, and I remember you and I used to talk about this too at 24 West. And unfortunately, because I mean, the way the industry runs and what people were coming to us for, it wasn't really viable. But I remember you and I would talk about it often and you especially would say, well, once we get in a very comfortable place then maybe you can start doing this other stuff with artists because you could see at the time too that I like to do more than just okay let me pitch let me uh, that was never my thing yeah. you know I wanted to do more and the experience with Noisy and then with 24 West because you obviously had so much more experience like dealing with press and marketing and I don't even think this has ever come up but one thing that you really helped me with was just like, I don't want to say the practical side of things, but maybe working with targets in a specific way. Like, let's call it strategy, you know? I learned a lot from you in regards to like strategy, putting all those docs together for clients the way they wanted them, you know? Because you came from a a big agency before you did 24 West, right? Like you knew this stuff. So you taught me a lot, you know, in terms of like yeah. dealing with these relationships or in this manner, I should say.
1: Well, you know, it's funny, you know, where I learned all of that from Joanna Noyes, who is the Joe that you were referring to before. She was my I'm mentor. A- I worked for her and the Stevenson's <laughs> and comes full circle. You guys were close. And, you know, she's one of my biggest mentors. For
0: sure. I mean, I've, I have a soft spot for Joe and she's always been one of my biggest cheerleaders, you know. I'd worked with you and I loved working with you, right? But Joe was primarily who I worked with. So I remember when you and I started talking more and we were talking about 24 was. that was my thought, right? It's like, well, Joe trained this guy. You know, so it's like, I trust because Joe <laughs> yeah. knows how shit is done. 2012 and 2013, 2014 were just me growing as a professional, learning different skills in the music industry until I decided that Okay, I could go bankrupt doing this, but at least it's gonna be my thing. I'm not gonna go bankrupt Rich and Teresa, you know? So I'm gonna yeah. do a different thing over here, right? And just try it because at the time I could, you know, I had supports, I was in a very good place. So I started smoking mirrors to do things differently or some of the stuff that you and I had talked about for me to do with artists. So that was a whole other thing.
1: What were those like really core tenants that you were trying to build the agency on?
0: To go back to the whole streaming thing, my thing has always been, is this a mutual exchange happening between the artist and the fan here? Is the artist really connecting with our fans? I understood two things, that when artists were in a better place, their art was different. And that art being different also really affected their sales. So again, I wasn't thinking of things the way that I am now, but I started to make that connection, right? So my whole thing with Smoke and Mirrors really became about doing things from a real place. Put away this thought about promo, promo, promo. Because I promise you, if you focus on other things that really matter, which is your heart and speaking in an authentic voice, it's your ticket to success. It's not the, let's head up all these writers. Let's head up all these journalists. No, no. It's more about what are you trying to say to people and what is your why? I was approaching artists in a completely different way. No, we're not gonna do a campaign where we blast every publication out there. That's not how it works. Throw shit on a wall and see what sticks, no. My approach has always been described as, you know, old school like Motown and record labels like that, where they would take in an artist, figure them out, really understand the artist fully, understand their voice and help direct them a little bit. No, just like, let me set up your marketing plan because that's what you hired me for. Let me do your publicity. It was more like, no, no, let me get to know you. Who are you? And what are you trying to say? And let's build a brand around that. This is really important, the why. I gave people my why, like I did with Made of Chalk. I'm doing this because artists aren't getting what they deserve and neither is the audience. Everybody was like, I'm into that. I believe in that. with you
1: that's something that you still carry with you today i remember one of the first (laughs) conversations we had about Bo, which is the short one of the short films that we're working on together the first thing you asked is like what's your why why are you writing this
0: absolutely if i ask them what their why is they may give me a spiel and i will look them straight in the eye and be like okay but what's your real why and you can be really honest with me and then the truth comes and it's like well we need the honest why here you know, for building something real together. But it's very important. (laughs) And I will say this, I mean, I say this all the time, but people support people. That's why people need to know your why. People don't support products. People don't support objects. People support people. Give them your why. And then whatever you do, they'll be behind you. And I think my trajectory is proof of that. What is Ada's why? Ada's why is art which is to say creativity plays such a fundamental role for humanity and our evolution. So that's my why, that's why I do what I do. Because as someone that studied politics here and all that, I realized that change can't happen on a macro level, it has to happen on a micro level. It's the individual yeah. that changes the world. The world is a mosaic of individuals. The role was sort of put together for me with my background in mental health you know, and arts. Wow, this is my why. To help other people understand their why and why it's important to know that why, you know, the energy that you're putting forth, the energy that you're bringing to people is fundamentally even more important than the product that you're putting in front of them.
1: And that was actually going to be another question of mine is you've got such a unique educational background between poli sci and the sociology and you know, all the mental health studies that a lot of what you bring to a campaign or a project feels like it's very influenced by that. But I also think from knowing you and being friends, like you're a very spiritual person, you're very empathetic. Do you think it's more just that's naturally who you are? Or do you think when you're coming on these campaigns and bringing all this great energy do you think that tied back your education or is it more just you it's who you are what you bring anyway I'm,
0: i think education definitely has something to do with it because i like to learn a lot that's probably my biggest passion it's not even music it's learning i have over four thousand books in this house <laughs> I love to learn. I love to read. I always have. So I'd say that comes naturally to me, but education has been important in that it's provided a vocabulary for the things that I know intuitively. So when I have a vocabulary, I'm able to work with people better, but it's absolutely made a huge difference. And you know, this is a co-creator that it bleeds into everything that I do from the way I'll develop a character to the way I'll discuss putting something in front of people, right? I will think from so many angles as to so how this looks, how is this going to be perceived, you know, how is this going to feel? You are very patient when Ada starts talking your ear off about consciousness and spirituality and psychology, you know, and how this is related to the idea and the project. And honestly, sometimes I feel so bad for you and other people I work with, but I love you so much for humoring me, you know, and like for being like, okay, I'm following. I'm trying to follow. I'm trying to follow.
1: Well, something good something love... always comes out of it. So
0: now I love those moments because they're very real. But honestly, again, this is what I discovered and what Smoke and Mirrors really was which I've now honed even more, if you will. I'm just very good at getting people in a comfortable place, you know, so that they can talk in their real voice. And that stems from my own inner work. Because of what I've gone through, I've had to do a lot of work to not judge myself, to not see myself as damaged goods. So I come to myself now with a lot of love and acceptance. People feel that because that's how I feel about other people too. Because when you have such an honest look at yourself and you realize that what a flawed human being you are, forget being damaged, but just being flawed, you become a little more tolerant and accepting of other people's flaws too, you know? But really, I love that process of working with people through their walls so that they find that authentic voice. And let me sort of bring it full circle here. I do have this perspective that we are really just vessels meant to channel higher truths and as human beings, as mm-hmm. artists, that's the role that we really play. When we really undergo that process, honestly and fully, not with an audience in mind. Mm-mm-mm. When we create for an audience, we are depriving ourselves from biggest psychological transformation for both ourselves and the public. An artist has to create from here. And what is here? And why is this important? Well, I don't know if you've heard this, Rich, but the heart as thousands times higher or bigger electromagnetic field than the brain. What does that mean?
1: I did not know that. The brain
0: doesn't know half as much as the heart. The heart is able to know information way before the brain. That's what our intuition is. Why? Because this thing in here, this is our consciousness, actually. Our consciousness isn't quite here. It's here. The the solar plexus, as they call it. This chakra right here. You can't see it, but I'm pointing right here. (laughs) The solar (laughs) plexus. And that is where the truth seems to come from, because... Those truths don't come from the mind. And the mind is just programmed. It's running a program. The program that you grew up with, that's what it's running. The heart, not so easy to program. And what I always say is that the biggest act of rebellion are to live through your heart in a world designed to make you forget that she exists. And that's what artists are supposed to do. They're supposed to lead the way. Because if artists can't live through their hearts, the people closest to their soul and they're closest to their soul not because they're special but because they're here to do something because art is healing when people heal themselves by creating art and let me ask you as an artist don't you find it healing when you've really thrown yourself into a creative project that you're not pushing buttons on but really creating from like a passionate of real place by the end of it yeah. your own energy has changed you've transformed Because you, through this process, have integrated a new bit of consciousness. And that's what change is all about, that new bit of consciousness that you yourself grounded from high up through your heart and transcribed it via art. Film, music, painting, doesn't matter. Well, now your energy of transformation is attached to that. And anyone that comes into contact with it feels it. You know, you have some people that walk into a room and you immediately feel the room go like oh, the energy and then there's other okay. people that make the room just like oh my god i love being around this person it's the same with art right, right. some art really hits you some art doesn't the art that hits you has come from the heart and it's it's yeah. medicine so to kind of expand this a little bit this is why i have such a big issue with artists creating for the sake of creating Art is focusing on numbers, art is focusing on an audience. Guys, (laughs) that's not what this is about. Art is healing in the fullest sense. Read studies on consciousness, read studies in physics. You know, reality isn't quite what we've been told that it is. We are more energy than we are body. So what does that mean when over 95% of the universe is dark matter? So what we know is actually very little. But my point is, it's all consciousness. And I know there's movements in uh, creative industries, especially psychedelics and stuff. That's a whole other thing I don't want to get into because that's problematic in itself. You know, like I love psychedelics as much as anybody else. But I think they're just a beginning into the journey. And unfortunately, they've heard creative industries more than they've helped them because people have this idea that, oh my God, I see reality. I understand now my heart has expanded, etc., et That's all fine and dandy. But for you to remain there, you got to work through the shit that keeps you at the lower level. Just because you go up with psychedelics for a little bit doesn't mean you can stay there. And that's the problem yeah. with a lot of artists, right? Let me just wrap it up. If you're not creating from a higher place, from a real place... You're not bringing anything forth that's in any way beneficial to society. It's just waste at that point. And so how do we create a system where artists are really creating from the heart? Well, that's a long of conversation because one, the industries aren't designed for that. And two, we live in societies that have cut our heads off from our bodies, which is to say our hearts. So it's a big societal problem in general. We're not able to feel We're all here. And the solutions here, spinning wheels, right? Artists have to pave the way. That's the bottom line. Pave the way and bring that healing energy to the people. I mean, not to like brag here, but I think Bo is real art because it's come from a very real place. What is Bo for yeah. the public here, for the audience? Bo is an animated <laughs> short that Rich and I have been working on that we're in love with that's <laughs> going into production this year. And it's about his puppy based on his puppy's journey. And it has hearts. You didn't do this because you just wanted to make a film.
1: No, I did it because he's my best friend. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And you can feel it. Yeah. And everyone that has seen that pitch deck Feels it because both of us went in there like it's just hard energy, and what came out of it is Mm. not what either of us expected. That's my point. The art leads the way. Let's leave it at that, right? Not the mind, the art leads the way. And you know, I was recently interviewed by my friend Ilana. You probably know her, Ilana Kaplan. Like, she's a journalist. Um, Mm -hmm. And she asked me about the state of the industry, you know, what do we do now, you know, like media is blowing up, journalists are all getting fired and all that, like, are we going to have art anymore, whatever. And I said to her, the thing about human beings is that throughout time, so much has been taken away from us. But even when everything has been taken away from us, we've still had our stories, because it's never about the audience. It's just in our blood in our soul to want to create because it helps move us forward it expands our consciousness and consciousness expansion comes through healing that's why creating Mm -hmm. is so damn important i feel like we're on the verge of this becoming the accepted truth you know that creativity and consciousness are deeply linked
1: And that brings me to the last thing that I wanted to get into with you. You've had a very fluid career path. You've chased inspiration. And now you're moving more into film. You're still doing your consultancies, but you're moving into film as well. So what was behind that transition and let people know what you're doing now?
0: Like I said, you sort of took my hand and blew the door wide open. So yes, right now, film. Is my focus. Uh, there's some animated shorts that you and I are working on together. There's some other ones that I'm in the moment developing. And of course, there's Era, you know, the story based on mm-hmm. my own life animated, which will see the light of day eventually. You know, your own personal project yeah. is always the hardest. Look that. Uh, in film at the moment, uh, producer, screenwriter. I'm the type of person that, because I've been all over the place and because I think my approach to creativity and maybe just the way my heart works not my mind you can drop me in on any project i'll probably figure out a way to make myself useful in there or add something that was not there before right and i feel that's Mm. sort of the best way to describe what i do it's just i sincerely believe that truly creative people and that is to say people with their hearts open are almost like jack of all trades like you're not creative only in one way if you're truly a creative person you'll be creative in any context so yes right now Things with film are amazing. I'm getting a lot of support from the London community. Like London, Ontario is throwing a lot of resources at developing the film industry. I am blown away (laughs) by what's happening here. Like by the support that I've been getting. I've especially been getting a lot of support from Film London and my friend Andrew who runs it. There's so much talent here. And I don't know if you know this, Rich, but the biggest issue for Canadian artists and creatives is that they can't cross the bridge over to the U.S. It's very difficult for Canadians. It's horrible because there is so much talent here, right? But somehow Mm -hmm. there's been this block and that's unfortunate. So now, as you know, even about some of our projects, like I'm reaching out to people here, there's so much support there's support from the community there's support from the government you know and of course as artists i mean i'm sorry to say when the government is making support available it's huge yeah. for independent creators right now i'm trying to get more involved with people here and i'm loving it i love the things that are happening the projects underway here the production studios taking off here. It's it's the whole thing. Let me just say London wants to become the next Toronto and it should be. It's incredible, honestly.
1: One final question. Through your long and winding career here in the creative space, what are the things that you think have been constant? And I think I have one of the answers and that's community because it it all started with the online communities at Absolute Punk and now into film. It seems like community and collaboration would be a big one. But besides that, what are some things that have been constant throughout your entire career here?
0: I think if any artist listens to this at all, what they should take away from this is that With creativity, you honor your heart, and when you honor your heart, you're making it about more than just you. And in a funny way, paradoxically, when you don't make it about you, it becomes about
1: yeah. uh Well, Ada, thank you so much for your time. You know how much I appreciate you and you sharing your wisdom and your journey here with us today. So, if you don't mind, just let the listener know where they could find you online and know that you're appreciated. And and thank you for your time here today.
0: Of course. I mean, I'm pretty easy to find with this different name, but I am Lueda.com is where people can find me. And then on Instagram, keep up with some of my latest arts. And that's pretty much it. But This was a pleasure. I said to myself, should I prepare for this? Mm, No, just go talk to your friend. So this was a conversation. (laughs) And like I said in the beginning, I could have saved it for the end. But thank you for being there, for supporting me throughout. Like I'm absolute punk. I'm made of chalk now. Like you just asked me what has been another consistent thing, right? Or what has been a thing that keeps coming up? you friendships like yours you know like that's all i mean that's part of community but truly from the bottom of my heart thank you because no man is an island you know and we forget especially the people that are always good to us so thank you thank you thank you are you ready